You're listening to Talking Tunes, and joining me online tonight is Count Donkula. Count Donkula, Andy, how are you? Yeah, good. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. I'm just thinking, Count Donkula, and you got this Exorcist music to begin with. It's a sort of sinister start to the show, right? Yeah, that was one of the reasons for choosing actually. I mean, this like oldest thing I've got on here, kind of like supposed to be, you know, aimed for 15 tunes, and I've ended up, as you know, taking weeks to do it. And I couldn't get it less than 20. What I've ended up doing is kind of vaguely chronological. So um, yeah, this is like the oldest one. Figured also the like Exorcist intro goes with my kind of half-assed goth persona as Count Donkula. Half-assed donk persona, Count Donkula. <laughs> well, half-assed goth. Oh, sorry, I missed the goth part out of that, right? Yeah, it's kind of vaguely like horror themed. Never good at committing to these things, so yeah, like I say, it's very half-assed thing. Yeah, I realised as I was doing this and had multiple lists of ridiculous numbers of tunes, had hardly any donk on there, and I've only had shoehorn one donk tune into the very end of this playlist. But there's lots of other good stuff on here, hopefully. It's all about fun and having a bit of fun with music and, and stuff like that, especially with donk, right? So the first tune we're going off with is LSD Jesus on Ease. I mean, this is a proper 1992 mashup, right? My first introduction to the whole like concept of rave. Like, I mean, I'd always been into music as a kid. Like, music and computers are always really my thing. Kind of a lot of the music I was exposed to was through like video games and stuff. But then, as I kind of like into early 90s, kind of got interested in the, the demo scene on the Amiga, which is basically quite nerdy people showing off what they can do writing code on well they did it on all computers but i was specifically involved in the amiga demo scene and you know they kind of create these things with music and visuals and be like oh look i've done all this stuff and it's uh, it only takes up 32k on a floppy disk they kind of all had its own unique style but then this one came out sometime i think yeah about 92 or something it's like about half an hour long it comes on two floppy disks and it's just like half an hour of constantly evolving rave music and like visuals and stuff and it just like totally blew me away at the time it's all done on an amiga so there's like four channels of um of 8-bit audio so it's all quite scratchy and unpleasant if you listen to it too closely giving you the first four minutes of it rather than the full half an hour but as it goes on it's got loads of amazing hilarious samples the muppets uh, like rob harris or obviously that's a bit problematic these days but like rob harris and things like that but just also this amazing kind of dark breakbeat rave music and at the time you know i was what uh, about 10 years old when it came out and i was just watching it sat at home on the, my little like clt computer screen just like wow what is this like okay. <laughs> so before i was really aware of like what actual raves were, were at all did you do any programming back then yeah, I did, yeah. Um, kind of, I really wanted to be a proper like demo scene person, making these amazing demos. I wasn't quite good enough for that. But it was all done in, um, they all used assembly language, um, which is really, really hard to learn. <laughs> I used to code Motorola 68000, so, you know, the Amiga was close to my heart, with the copper lists and all the things it could do. It was a multimedia machine. It's an amazing machine, right? Absolutely, yeah. And then, so, um, I guess from about the age, well, when I first came across Jesus on Ease and all the like music in that, I kind of veered much more towards just doing music rather than trying to do any code. So I got a free copy of Optimed, which is a tracker program on some computer magazine and just like got totally into that, just lost in that for years. So we're into the Technohead Accelerator. Early 90s still, but this is some Dutch quality, right? 
Yeah, kind of mid 90s, I think this was. Techno had themselves on Dutch, I don't think. No, um, I was looking it up earlier and I've now totally forgotten. But um, Michael Wells and Lee Newman, they had the hit with I Want to Be a Hippie, which is how I heard of them. They were like on top of the pop, jumping around with big inflatable hammers, because obviously they're on um, Mokum Records, so they have their hammers. And they're also GTO as well. And also like Tricky Disco, loads of those. They had so many aliases. But yeah, I didn't realise that, again, from looking this up earlier, I didn't realise that, that Lee Newman, she died in 95 before. Um, I Want to Be a Hippie even came out as a single. It's like, oh, what a shame. That still still resonates today, that tune. Uh, based off the back of that tune, I got this album. And um, like, I mean, it's not actually that great. It's not cohesive as an album, but there's so many good tunes on there and like real different styles. So this has got this kind of real like dark cyberpunk kind of vibe to it that just like really got into my head when I first heard it. Hinting at this whole world out there again, because you know, maybe 14 by this time hinting at this whole world that I couldn't quite have access to yet but I was so intrigued by actually me and my friend we used to have parties when he went away and we'd like we'd make visuals on the Amiga again and like turn all the lights out and just have like flashing visuals that we'd made on the screen and play Prodigy and um, and Technohead basically it was just me and him dancing and everyone else was just teenagers like snogging and drinking cider and you know we loved it <laughs> where else did you grow up when you was a kid then? Sheffield. Well, mostly Sheffield. I, I moved to Sheffield from Glasgow when I was uh, when I was seven. So you've been reasonably well connected in that there would have been a scene up there, right? Yeah, um, it was a nice place to go up in terms of music. It's a, it's a very chilled city, Sheffield, or at least it used to be. I haven't been back for years. And so the city, even though it's like um, population-wise, it's a pretty big city by the standard of the UK anyway. It's um, All the scenes are very small, so you kind of go to, kind of involved in the indie music scene as well for a bit, and you go to gigs and it'd just be the same group of people, techno nights and free parties, and it was the same group of people there kind of thing. Everything is kind of small scale and like friendly and easily accessible. There's a really good scene, well, various good scene, but like I say, yeah, small. Maloko coming in. Yeah, instantly recognisable voice of Maloko. Yeah, 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 Roisin Murphy. So obviously Roisin is Irish. They were kind of a Sheffield-based band. 
Um, but yeah, they were really big for me in my kind of late teenage years. Me and a couple of my close friends were just super, super into them. Kind of one of the um, early internet communities I was involved with as well was like the Maloko message board. There's about kind of 15 people from around the world who were like regulars on that, I guess around 1998 onwards. And it became like a really close community and we had like meetups and stuff where people would come over from America and meet up in London and stuff. Like this kind of mini, mini little fandom who kind of became an actual community, which is really sweet. I went to America when I was like 19. I like stayed in the middle of Manhattan with one of the guys from the local message board and stuff. It was a lush little community. Get on your knees and pray. The shoppers' knives The long-eared ones are coming Run, run because they were so big for me, I spent ages trying to work out which shoe of theirs, and I've ended up with this Killer Bunnies, which is a really random one, really, just like deep cut of their first album. Um, it's like it just sums them up really well in a way, like because I mean, it's it's got an incredible vocal going on. The power of that vocal, which is like singing about Killer Bunnies, is just so completely absurd. So now she's kind of a bit of a disco diva, queer icon now, and um, but she still kind of has that same crazy off the wall energy about her. I always love it as well when people pick tunes from bands and you think, oh, no, the most famous song from them. But uh, to go for the other bits and pieces that people may not know and get off the beaten track, that's what we need to do more in music, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because they had a hit with the remix of Sing It Back and it was, you know, we were all scandalised that they got famous off the remix. People didn't know how good they were before, kind of thing. Teenage angst time, right? Or is this early 20s angst? <laughs> yeah, it's still teenage angst, I guess. Yeah, System of Down is late 90s, isn't it, when this came out? Probably 98, 99. Yeah, I mean, I was never, like, I mean, I've kind of got more into metal as I've got older. I was kind of only ever into, like, rock and metal kind of stuff because my friends were, and that was, so that was when we were going out, we those kind of things. System of Down was one thing that always totally grabbed me because the production is so damn good. It's, it's basically club music. And you could almost say it's like Rick Rubin featuring System of a Down kind of thing because I've seen them live. They're nowhere near as good as they are on record. Almost no other metal music sounds this good in a club as well. It's properly just tweaked to sound amazing, really loud on a sound system. It's that new metal thing though, isn't it? Where they've got like electronic production techniques and you know, really getting on mastering compression. And... Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. But for me, like, yeah, this is where it was done best. And also, I guess, because a lot of new metal, I find, like, the actual vocals are pretty cringe. Whereas uh, he's a really good vocalist. And they've got this kind of interesting edge to them because they're Armenian, I think. And so and this is, like, my favourite song of theirs because it's got, like, you know, the verses have got that kind of syncopated, like, jam, 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 jam. And then it kind of just 
the vocals have got this kind of Armenian wailing thing going on and then what, that goes into the main choruses and they're just hammering it out. It's just, yeah, it's brilliant. Great name. How'd you come up with it? <laughs> I can't really remember. Other people have come up with it, <laughs> so I think maybe it's just quite obvious. Oh, so you're not unique in the Camp Donkula? <laughs> well, um, last year on SoundCloud, some much bigger account than me put out a, a Camp Donkula edit of a tune, and I, at first I was kind of a bit scandalised by it, because I, I messaged them saying, hey, uh, like, sadly enough, like, I name search myself on SoundCloud fairly regularly so that I can see if, I, if people have done mixes with me in. And so I kind of happened across this tune quite soon after they put it up and I messaged them saying, uh, would you mind changing that? Because sorry, that's actually my name. And, um, and they were basically just like, no, we're just, it's a one-off and we're going to just do it. And I was a bit pissed off at the time, but actually, if I'm honest, they had you know, nearly 10,000 followers on SoundCloud. I've ended up getting loads of traffic out of it. There was a remix out of um, Overmono who I hadn't actually heard of before that, but and to be honest, the original tune really dull. It was a popular tune that was getting loads of traffic, so I did my own remix of the same tune, put it up as the real Count Docular edit. It, it's definitely like helped my profile overall in the end, so I can't complain too much about it. Randomly, some other chiptune artist on Twitter, though, I saw it had uh, done something as Camp Dunkler as well recently. I think because there's that like right wing edgelord guy, Count Dankula, I think that's why it kind of pops into people's minds as a kind of obvious joke. Although, I don't know where you stand on the whole dog Nazi salute thing, but. It's kind of funny, isn't it? <laughs> I, think, I mean, yeah, I don't actually have an issue with the, the original thing of making a dog do that. He's new. It's fucking stupid, but it's also kind of funny. But then but then he ended up, like, you know, running as a, in elections for UKIP and stuff. So, you know, it wasn't just that it was a hilarious, funny joke. He actually was a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah, I lost all interest after that, yeah. Too many right-wingers on YouTube and that. But anyway, that's a story for another day. But yeah, I don't exactly remember where and when I thought of the name. I just like started doing more hard banging stuff again, like in about 2019. And I just wanted to, a cat I had on SoundCloud before, which just, it had been so many different things over the years. I just wanted to start something new. But it's worked well for me because it's a memorable name. And um, even when I started out, like I'd message people saying like, oh, you know, could I play your thing? And they'd be like, oh my God, Count Donkula, as if it was, as if it had like this gravitas to it. And it's like, no, I'm just, just some random person. <laughs> We're all just random people, that's the beauty of it at the end of the day. Once you realise we're all just random people? Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. That's the secret. <laughs> so this tune, anyway, we're getting into uncharted territory for me anyway. Boris Delosh? Boris Lugosh. I'm not actually sure, 100% sure how you pronounce it. Yeah, Boris Lugosh. He's actually, going back to Maloka, he's the one who did that the remix of Sing It Back that was a big hit. Like, he's a, a German, I think, involved with the Peppermint Jam label. But yeah, kind of quite a prolific house guy in 19. I just, I just really, really love house music. There's kind of free party seat in Sheffield. Like I was saying, it was kind of all quite small and fluffy. And there was a lot of house music there, like, because the kind of free party scene in the North generally, they like, had people like um, Smokescreen and DIY, the sound systems there, they were like mostly house-based sound systems, which like to people um, in the South who are like free party types, that is just, it's unheard of to play house music. It's harder and harder and harder. It's the way it goes, like especially in Bristol. But it's like, yeah, total kind of opposite thing. You have these parties with, you know, maybe 50 to 100 people and, um, and like in the kind of darker hours they'd be playing you know trance and drum and bass and stuff and then it starts to get light and the uh, the djs who have, who'd been playing at the like townie clubs in town would arrive at the free parties and as it's getting light it's just like this kind of joyous vocal house music and it's yeah 
good memories. It's just such generous music because the kind of so much space because it's relatively slow compared to a lot of rave music. It's like so much space to dance, and you know the kind of like the vocal on that is just like keep pushing on, things are going to get better. It's like it, it's totally meaningless, but it's, but it's feel good. And that's what a lot of what being at a rave is about: is feeling like things are going to be okay no matter what else is going on in your life, kind of thing. Well, oh, fully agree. Escape from reality and just enjoy yourself and be free. Yeah, no, I like a lot of house music as well. Like, not a big fan of it, but like, you know, a lot of that down tempo, easy listening stuff. You know, if you listen to this, the radio show where I'm going through new music, I always start out with the stuff that's 110, 120, a bit of disco. Like, you know, it's like, can't all be pull your teeth out with pliers. Yeah, I saw you had a James Curd tune on the other day, yeah. So, on to Tara N, good Irish gal. Uh, so this one's obviously a bit out of chronological order because she's a current producer, but it's got this like kind of acidic hard house stuff. Almost going into side trance and areas, but you know, we'll let away with it. <laughs> I went to uni in London, so you know, after I left Sheffield in like 2001, like this was the sound of partying in London for me was this like acid hard house sound. So many, well, kind of half memories of uh, being in like dingy places in Brixton with this kind of soundtrack. And it's just, it's such good music to just get lost in and, and stomp to for hours. And uh, Tara, she's, she's just super cool. And um, she like has come from like rural free party scene somewhere in Ireland, I don't remember where. But she's like making real waves in the in the house scene now. Like she's doing some sets for Tidy Tracks. She's playing it for the Tidy Tracks Weekender, I think. Uh, but she like, you know, she does kind of like hardware acid techno sets as well. She just, someone I really respect is kind of, I guess on the, because a lot of kind of the hard dance stuff at the moment, including what I do, is, is like fairly silly. And she's definitely on the more serious side, but I still like, you know, I, I do like to get serious as well and have a good stomp. There is a bit of a free party circuit going on in Ireland because the licensing laws are a bit draconian. It's hard to find legit venues to let you do techno in. And you've know, got so much countryside, you know, I've been to a few of them. Um, but I'm not not one for them that much. I don't go out to them that often, you know. Um, certainly it's not since COVID anyway. But uh, yeah, certainly seems well respected, well run and well organised. And like I said, a good few crews doing it in Ireland. So yeah, long may that last. My dad was um, based in Dublin for about 15 years. So I, I know it a little bit, but um, actually, yeah, going out in Dublin itself, I never particularly found anywhere that was particularly like an actual club that you would go to to properly dance. Like it was much more about kind of socialising and drinking kind of thing. I found that this was, you know, probably 20 years ago. <laughs> you just need to know where to find the places. But even then, especially post-Covid, and I've heard people say this about other areas in the world, that post-Covid, the gigs just aren't coming back in the way that they were before, you know? Do you still go out raving or you just save it for the festivals and stuff? Yeah, rarely, to be honest. Mostly only if I'm playing somewhere. Actually, what I've found since COVID, I don't know if it's related to that or just coincidence, but um, the places are actually a lot busier than they used to be. And, um, and I can't really cope with that very well. Being in a club where you have to kind of squeeze past people to get anywhere and there's no real place to just kind of to be. <laughs> and uh, there's not, a, yeah, and there's not even particularly space on the dance floor. It's kind of, it's more like a mosh pit than a dance floor. It's, 
it's all a bit much for me. If I have a gig, like asking to play early and then then I can kind of get there while it's still relatively empty and then kind of assess things after my set and see if I want to stick around. And it, I often end up not sticking around. Yeah, I know, I know the feeling, yeah. And uh, I sometimes wonder, am I just getting old? <laughs> like, there's no proper seating, you can't have a conversation with people. Uh, people are very messy. It's like, you know, love them and all the rest of it, you know, love messy people are having fun, absolutely go for it. But like, you kind of think you're going, I, just, I could just be in bed with a cup of tea right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I do love going to festivals still though, and I, I try and get, like, where there's kind of space, then I'm happy. is lab four yeah a bit of hard aggressive sort of techno sound yeah yeah so um me and my partner lizzie who i'm still with now well we met in london when we moved my genie in 2001 and we were just completely obsessed with lab four they were they were big on the like yeah kind of well that scene i was just talking about the acids hard house techno type scene and they would just do live sets all over the place all the time and we were kind of super fans well me especially so Lab 4 is kind of our tune almost, or like our song. Well, my tune with my wife is Party Animals uh, Aquarius. So, you know, she's probably forgotten it 20 years on, but, you know. Amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, if I play this now and Lizzie's around, she's like, yeah, turn this off, please. In the right context, she's still into it, but like she would listen to it at a rave, but she can't just listen to rave music all the time like I do. I love this tune of theirs particularly because this was like a really early one of theirs, I think 94 or something. And they'd kind of, so there are two guys and they both come from kind of industrial metal type backgrounds and then just tried tried doing techno for a laugh kind of thing. But, or so they claim they didn't really know what they were doing when they made this tune, they were just fucking about. So it's, it's very simple, but it just works perfectly. It's got that like very 90s kind of vocal synth sound in the background that's just like little chorus of angels and then like perfect tune. It also reminds me of before I went to America and stayed with a, a friend off the Maloko message board. And I had this playing in my earphones when I was going over to the Statue of Liberty on the ferry. And that's always like really imprinted on me, like that kind of, that riff and for some reason, the Statue of Liberty, you know, it made sense at the time. Because it was one of the early ones that they'd done. Um, it's got a kind of innocence and naivety about it, but it's also super banging and it's yeah, just so simple. But like, yeah, that riff and that, that choir sound, they're just, yeah, timeless. The real problem with this sometimes is when you get people who pick loads of short tunes. I think Gorshit probably had the record because he had like 20 tunes in an hour. And it, like, all his songs were like, a minute, two minutes max. <laughs> what's this one? Oh, it's this tune. Okay, what's this one? It's this tune. <laughs> I was thinking when I was picking it, like, God, I'm not going to be able to have more than a minute of stuff to say about any of these tunes. Well, music's life, right? This is why I do talking to you, because music is life. And it's all about sharing the stuff that you love with other people. And I can pick any random person who loves music and say, talk about the music you love, and you'll always learn something from them. And, you know, it's like the fact that you pick the Maloko, uh, killer bunnies. You'll learn something, you expand your horizons. And who doesn't want to do that when it comes to music, right? I've been loving listening to some of the other ones, actually. I kind of, I mean, I've listened to a fair few of them already, but then, but since you asked me to do this, I've been kind of going through the entire catalogue of them. And yeah, I mean, it is just so interesting hearing where everyone's come from and what their influences are and so on. And there's been some bangers that I've found from it as well that I hadn't heard before. So yeah, it's a great thing.
Asterix Disco Values this tune this was one of the things that it was the reason it took me so damn long to choose my list was because I knew I had to have a Psytrance tune but having the right one to really represent what I wanted to talk about Psytrance was kind of the other track of what me and Lizzie were into in our time in London there just there really is nothing like being on a proper trance floor because almost because like there's a bit of a stigma around Psytrance people don't go to Psytrance parties unless they really 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 want to hear some Psytrance unlike say drum and bass pretty much anyone's happy to go to a drum and bass night if you go to a Psytrance party the whole dance floor or is just like this kind of absolute, like any headed monster. I think if someone was put a gun to my head and go, Kushti, mate, you're gonna have to go to a 12 hour gig, stay the whole 12 hours, no cups of tea, it has to be a drum and bass or it has to be side trance. I think I'd go with side trance because the people there are a lot more interesting and the music's a little bit more diverse and there's lots of ideas going on. Whereas drum and bass, you know, I like it. There's some great drum and bass out there, but I think there's more good side trance than there's drum and bass. Although I do tend to play a lot more drum and bass on the show than I do side trance, so I don't know. Yeah, well, I'd agree with you there, but well, it does have a stigma about it. In some ways, for good reason, but like, because it's obviously a very kind of hippie scene and there's quite a few things about it that are quite cringe. But at the same time, like, if you go to a big, like, international Psytrance party, like we went to Boom nearly 20 years ago now, 2004 it was. Even back then, like pre-proper widespread internet, it's like it was a genuinely global scene and people there are from everywhere. So the fact that there's kind of, say like an Indian sample in the music, it's not that it's just like white people picking and choosing samples that sound cool. It's, you know, it's actually genuinely that this music comes from all over the world. And the, the production in Psytrance has always been years ahead of basically any other dance music. This is less true now, but other things have caught up. But people in Psytrance, kind of around the turn of 2000, are really, really getting into what was possible with production using computers and down to very detailed level, you know, really zooming in on exactly how you can make the kick and the bass, for example, just sound perfect together years before anyone else was really thinking about that. Over the years, you kind of hear in like more mainstream dance music that become like common techniques. It's like, okay, that's kind of, I was hearing that in Psytrance quite a long time ago. The reason I chose this tune in the end, I was had several Psytrance tunes picked from, but this is attached to a specific memory of um, driving in my partner's Renault 5 back from college, back to, to where we lived. So we went to uni in, um, in Cockfosters, hilariously enough, in North London, and we lived in um, Palmer's Green. She had this little Renault 5 um, and we had a tape of compilation that had this tune on. I remember always just being sat in the back on the way home. I'd possibly be a little bit stoned. She'd be caning it because she's a proper like boy racer, well, girl racer. We'd be like just flying up and down the hills, like through North London with this tune playing. Yeah, it's just a good memory, basically. <laughs> One of the things I do with a lot of music is I trace it back to what drugs people typically take to relate to certain types of music. And I think, you know, jungle, drum and bass, hardcore, you know, all that stimulant type music. Whereas Psytrance, obviously, it's all hallucinogenics, mushrooms and, and that sort of stuff, which is probably why the people who are into the stimulants don't get into the hallucinogenic type music. 
that's true. Like a lot of rave music is kind of like upper body music, like you're dance, dancing to it, you're kind of, it's the top half of your body that's mostly moving. And then other music like kind of dance hall or something is very much lower body music. If you're moving the top of your body, it's all in service of basically your bum moving. But like side trance, if people are properly into it, it's real like whole body music, like you're dancing with every bit of you kind of thing, which again, maybe that's a, a psychedelic thing as well. Lovers of light. Like, I don't strongly identify with any kind of national identity, like British or English or anything, but on paper, I'm probably more Scottish than I am anything else. Like, I was born there. My surname is Scottish, and like my family on my dad's side is kind of Scottish and Irish. So, and I spent a lot of time there growing up as a kid and then through my adult life as well, which is somewhere we always go. Yeah, me and Lizzie spent a couple of summers living up there, um, got really into the music scene there. I mean, it's really nice they kind of there's a genuine like wild party scene up there that's all based around folk music and i actually i i made some tunes up there with a with a local guy who like played the fiddle and well, i actually built his own fiddles and then played them there's an amazing singer and multi-instrumentalist yeah i made some tunes with him one of which became a bit of a like anthem at whirly gig which is this like kind of hippie club night in london they, they released it on one of their cds are they scottish i thought I think actually they're Irish. Um, the, the 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 Celtic part of it is Irish, or more Irish than Scottish. I mean, they're very they're very obviously international. There's African members as well, and there's lots of different collaborations. It was um, Simon Emerson, who's the main main person who who died in the last few weeks actually, which I'm a bit gutted about. Like this kind of amazing live act, who I never got around to seeing. But yeah, I love this tune just it's kind of for being sort of electronic, but not really. Just it's like you know a little bit electronic, but it's kind of it's bringing all that different stuff together. Because with like Celtic folk music, the drums are kind of secondary in terms of like dancing. If you're dancing to a folk band, like really the fiddle is kind of the driving force. So you know what, whatever's providing the main melody is really what you're dancing to. And um, any drumming, like on a Verona, whatever, is kind of backing. But Africa really brought it together with more African music, where where drums are much more to the front, and just combined it really well in this kind of organic way that works. It's, it's, it's kind of it's a tricky thing to do something very folky and acoustic and something banging and electronic yeah with that tune especially i think they kind of got the balance just right but i don't want to burst your romantic bubble of uh, your thoughts of where afro celt sound system came from but according to wikipedia they came from london which is about as un-celtic as you could possibly get right <laughs> <laughs> uh, really but they're all probably all from different parts of the world, so yeah, the big old metropolitan melting pot of cultures. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs>
tune then? What's this? This is uh, Burial. I was humming and ahhing about whether to include this because it's something that's kind of become, even just thinking Burial is good is cliche these days. But it's because what he did was really quite game-changing and, and people are still imitating it now. Like it remains hugely influential, the stuff that he did back then anyway. So this, what, around 2007, at that time, kind of clubbing or, you know, like rave music generally had a little bit of a lull. It kind of wasn't going anywhere for a while. It's kind of amazing response to that. It's almost like it echoes of, of rave music kind of thing. It's like what I, what I used to think at the time was it was like, it's like what would happen if there was like rudimentary artificial intelligences left on Earth after the humans had died out and they're just like endlessly churning through all what information they had about their creators and coming up with this stuff that they don't quite understand themselves. And it, yeah, it's just got this kind of crazy poignancy because of that. It's just, yeah, cause this bit where it's just the vocal switched from this like kind of quite plaintive thing to this little bit of going, never trust you. It's like it becomes quite angry. Um, and then it just switches back into like, um, into that just pleading, tell me I belong. Like, yeah, I mean, it is just beautiful. And there's an amazing like essay that like I mean it's quite wanky and academic, but it's an amazing essay that this guy wrote at the time about burial and about all his kind of like comparisons with people in different media and stuff. He compares him to David Lynch in the way that he can just kind of suddenly switch things on you. Like I don't know if you're that familiar with David Lynch, but there's a um, like at the, at the start of Mulholland Drive, like that first scene where they're in the diner and then they go out the back and there's the weird like hobo comes out of the bin or something. But it's just that moment where where suddenly everything's just totally different and it's all wrong um, and Burial does that so well in, in a lot of his tunes. I always like the idea that at some point artificial intelligence is going to take over and as mankind we often worry about you know what happens if AI tries to kill us and then we have the war with the machines you know so many sci-fi films about the war with the machines yeah yeah what if, what if the artificial intelligence goes right I want to kill all the humans but here's what I'm going to do I'm not going to do a big war because you know I've seen Matrix you know I've seen Terminator it doesn't work out <laughs> well right what I'm going to do is I'm just going to subtly and slowly kill all humans be like global warming yeah don't worry about global warming I've, I'll, I'll fix that <laughs> plastic in the sea in, in the fish and in the food don't worry about that you know you find uh, exactly smoking actually apparently smoking is really good for you you know and just make all these really bad suggestions to the human race until eventually <laughs> it wipes us out yeah 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 well, have you tried chat GPT? I mean, it's quite easy to get it to suggest some, some quite suicidal options. <laughs> I haven't spent that much time on it, but I've spent a bit of time on it. It's great for you. If you need to write a report in work, it's great to get you started, you know? Give me a report about the subject that's to do with the thing, and then it's giving you, it'll give you a start paragraph, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's 
This is a weird one. We're getting into the weird stuff now. Because I mean, this is what we're going to know you for, is the weird music, right? <laughs> yeah, so I guess this is a bit of a weird one. So this is um, from when I lived in Bristol from 2006 to 2009. And like, yeah, like I was saying about the burial tune, it was kind of a time where it felt, at least to me, and I think to a lot of people, like there was a bit of a lull in kind of club music. Well, that wasn't so interesting to me at the time. But I still wanted to be like DJing and stuff. And I came across these guys, the Vulcan Hot Step Sound System, they were called. And this DJ specifically called Tipsy Gypsy. A brief sidebar, like I used to use Gypsy as a music genre. That's kind of not okay. And um, also, it's not really a, a word you should use as a DJ name if you're not from that culture. But, you know, it was a different time and all that. But yeah, and so this is a, a mashup by Tipsy Gypsy of Amsterdam Plasma Band versus the Beastie Boys. I'm just hearing this just like, it was just like massive, like opening up of possibilities of what, what could be done just in terms of DJing. Like it didn't have to be mixing four, four beats into one another. It's like you can cast your net way wider um, and combine different things and, and really have a lot of fun with it. In some ways, it's kind of similar to the kind of stuff we do in the donk scene of just kind of bringing things that didn't necessarily make sense together, but things that people know, things they don't know, and, and um, just making everything a bit more fun. Beastie Boy, Beastie Boy, colors go with everything, right? They do, yeah. That's another thing I wanted to say, yeah, because I was hugely into um, hip-hop in the 90s growing up, and I, I didn't manage to get any of my, like, hip-hop choices onto my final list, aside from this one. But yeah, this vocal is just, like, it's amazing. It, like, it's, like, it's not clever, exactly. Like, they're not really saying anything. It's basically nonsense. But it's like, you know, rap is kind of like, as opposed to, like, singing being using your voice as an instrument, rap is more like using language as an instrument. And, like, so they're just, they're, they're saying all these words, and then you kind of, there's just, like, perfect phrases with in it. It's almost like, like listening to, to a soloist in jazz where it's kind of it's going on for a while and then there'd be this little moment where it's like, yeah, yeah, they just hit it back on the head there. And there's so many of those little moments in that, that vocal where it's like, um, uh, like on a hot day with a nice latte, like I've got the right accent for it, obviously, or the flow or anything, but like, or like, what the hell in of Troy is that? Just like these perfect little moments. It's so good. You've got the words right. I mean, that's a start. <laughs> I've listened to that tune a thousand times probably, so. This tune is kind of a continuation of the same theme, combining disparate influences in something new. This is a band called the Glitzy Bagag, who were uh, a big part of the Bristol scene when we were there. And they were all on the festival scene generally. Like if you went to a festival in England between like 2006 and 2014, you probably saw them at least once without knowing it. I mean, the thing with Super Sharp Shooter, it's got to be one of the most over-remixed or, you know, remaked ever tune from the rave scene. Um, you know, Detweiler's Fruit Drop version killed it. You see so many people making remixes, and it's just, no, 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 no. But this one, wow. This is, I mean, this should be, this is in the top 10 Super Sharp remixes, right? Oh, amazing. I'll tell them that, because they're still friends with some of them. They live just a few miles down the road from me. 
because it was kind of we weren't really wasn't really into like clubs and electronic stuff that much of the time we're much more in the kind of punk folk uh, balkan type scene this was the kind of thing we'd be raving to and like it, it's so raucous like you still get you know obviously totally acoustic very very light drums it's just it's still banging and they're a big band as well you know there'd be anything between like eight to 15 of them on stage because uh, they just they, you know they would recruit people to like play cheese craters and spoons and stuff so like it was just this massive just kind of mashup because uh, they were all people who were like old ravers who were just kind of not that into to ravey rave anymore they wanted to, to rave in in their own way But they were proper like folk band as well. In like they did a version of um, Mazeltov, the like Jewish. I think it's a wedding tune, a, a traditional Jewish song. They changed it to Hasselhoff and like the whole song about David Hasselhoff, it, which is kind of it's like a very kind of modern folk thing. It's like kind of weaving a tale out of, of stories that people know, kind of thing, and attaching it to a tune people know. I want to hear a super sharp shooter remix or remake from a thrash metal band or a death metal band. I think that would sound amazing. Super sharp shooter from a thrash metal band. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slayer, exactly, yeah. I mean, man, that would happen, wouldn't it? That'd be so cool. That needs to happen. That's a good, good idea, yeah. Do you know any thrash metal bands? No, I don't. I'm shit at playing music, so. <laughs> but like you with the rapping, you know, at least I've got the idea. It's a start, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to run, take my headphones off for 30 seconds to get to the fridge and get another drink out. I'm actually unsure of how to pronounce the, the person's name. It's Sipo Hot Sticks Mabuse, I think is how you say it. And the tune's called Breakdance. He's like a South African guy. This is from 1984. This was a, a massive tune for me. After we lived in Bristol, we lived in Scotland for a bit, and then we lived on a boat for years. Uh, we lived on the canal um, around Bath, Trowbridge kind of area in the southwest. And well, before we had our first kid at East, it was quite a party time in our lives. It was like, you know, everyone back to ours. Like up the pub every time, and I'd just like play like house and disco for for hours. This was just a, a really big tune from there for me. I mean, so, so much amazing electronic music comes from South Africa, like even back then, and continues to now. There's some, something really magical about the tune. Though. It's like kind of it's so joyous, and like the vocals are just like you know it's everywhere around the world. It's like kind of quite innocent and kind of full of hope. You know, New York, LA, Johannesburg. It's like just imagining like people just going out and partying all around the world and 
just another like feel good tune, I guess. Like um, like I was saying about house music earlier, kind of it has a lot of that same energy. But it kind of when I first heard this and kind of other stuff from like South Africa in that era, I was kind of uh, yeah a bit blown away because in some ways streets ahead of what had been coming from the global north, I guess. And yeah, South Africa continued to be real crucible of amazing electronic music. I've got a few more coming up that uh, are at least South Africa related as well. And what I love about your selection is very varied, right? You're all over the place. You're 1984. You're right up there, modern stuff. Loads of different genres. It's great. I love it. Um, and now here's something completely different, right? Fatima Al Quidri. Quidri? Kadiri, I think. Fatima Al Kadiri. So she's a Kuwaiti producer. Um, although I think she's based in America. Yeah, if you Wikipedia that, I'm probably wrong about at least one of those things. Yeah, she just she's a real kind of high concept producer. She's done quite a few albums now, and they all have very like strong themes. She did an amazing one called um, Asiatish, which is kind of riffing on the way that grime had this kind of really micro subgenre called Sino grime, which was kind of strongly influenced by like Chinese and Japanese music. And she made this whole album riffing on that about the the way things can get mistranslated in culture. So the opening track on that album is a cover of the Sinead O'Connor song that was written by Prince, uh, Nothing Compares to You, but all the lyrics are sung in Chinese and they're just this absolutely random jumble of words because it's kind of something that's been translated back and forth so many times that it's lost all meaning kind of thing. So yeah, it's all kind of quite high concept stuff, but then with this kind of grime-based sound palette, very bassy, clubby stuff. Like, I could have chosen basically any of her tunes. Like this one was in the end, it was kind of the one that kind of makes most sense just on his own as as a tune rather than having to listen to a whole album kind of thing. And she's signed to Hyperdub label, same as Burial. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely a big fan of a lot of Hyperdub stuff. Klein has done some really good stuff on there and obviously Code 9 himself has done some really amazing stuff. The, um, the release this was from had um, some really cool art. It was kind of around 2011, I think, when um, C-Punk was a thing. It wasn't even really a genre, it was, just, it was more of an aesthetic. It was mostly electronic stuff. It's quite a short-lived thing, but it was like it had this really strong kind of like 90s, you know, the kind of posters that you would get in like headshots in the 90s of like 3D rendered planets with like dolphins jumping over them and that kind of thing. It was all like rehashing that kind of artwork and a little bit of rehashing the kind of 90s electronic sound as well. I've gone I've gone to Google images and typed in Seapunk and it's like, oh my God, <laughs> now I know what you're talking about. Right, and I can see a relationship between this and a lot of the dunk stuff that I'm seeing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. All that PC music sort of... Yeah, that's true, actually. You know what, I hadn't really... Considered... Yeah, definitely PC music. There's definitely a kind of... Um, but yeah, I guess like some of the way that like some of the dunk artwork is done is, has similarities as well, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the artwork for that Fatima Al-Qadiri release that that tune was off was very much in that vein with like, yeah, 90s style 3D rendered palace with, uh, with like fast cars outside and stuff. Yeah, it's cool.
This is Mina. Mina's in for the kill. Mina's a really good producer. She is rich as far as I know. She brings in a lot of like global styles. So this is another kind of South African influence thing. This is, I can't pronounce the word. It's something like gong. It's spelled G-Q-O-M. But that's kind of what the basic genre here is. They obviously, she kind of putting her own spin on it. I mean, she does loads of like original non-bootleg tunes as well. But she's done several releases of just bootlegs of classic kind of trance and poppy kind of things, but done in a kind of global bassy style. I picked this one particularly, like it's much darker than a lot of her stuff actually. A lot of her stuff has kind of got more of a kind of tropical, happy pool party vibe. This is a bit more of a kind of dark club vibe. But I also just love the In For The Kill LaRue vocal. I think it's amazing. Um, do you remember there was that Scream remix of this tune as well? I want to say yes, otherwise I want to say two notes, two questions. You don't know, that was a classic. Is um, so you know, Scream, the dubstep producer. Scream. I think I should. Do. I think if I was playing some stuff, I'd know. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Scream spot with a K. He was one of the big pre-bro step dubstep producers. I mean, he did this amazing remix of that Into the Kill tune, just like this kind of deep, spacious dubstep thing that then, for the last thirty seconds, just suddenly went into a kind of amen break ravey thing. That just like it was properly mind blowing. Like the first time I listened. To it. Actually, me and the team, my partner, we we had it on in our bedroom in in Bristol, and just like we sat there and listened to it about five times in a row, just speechless, so, like, like totally blown up by the whole thing. I wanted to ask you a bit about production and stuff like that. Like, how are you making your music? What are you using? Are you using Octomed from the Amiga days or? Ableton from the from the modern days, modern era. Ableton from the nowadays, yeah, um, yeah, definitely Ableton these days. So I've got a little like studio set up yeah, in the in the disco barn where I've got like my decks and stuff. I did have like a little mini hardware studio in there for a while, but I was never using any of it. I always ended up just doing stuff on the laptop, so I've ended up selling most of the stuff I had in there. Like I like the idea of doing stuff with hardware, but the reality of it's been a pain in the ass compared to the fact that I can just do it all on the laptop anyway. Apart from the real analogy sounds are quite hard. Like, you see people with a lot of the, you know, the synthesizer, the rack synthesizers and all that sort of stuff, and make some weird noises out of that, which I don't think you can do that out, out, out of software. Well, I mean, you can, but um, definitely more fun to do that with a real synth. But I kind of see like being like synth nerdery and production are almost two different things. Like you kind of you don't really need one to do the other kind of thing. I did like um, when I was at uni, the course I did was called Sonic Pops, and it was just literally just doing weird things with sound for three years um, and we had a massive dirt for modular synth in there you know, like one of those ones that's like a literal telephone exchange where you've got patch cables all around the room kind of thing that was so much fun to play with but Look cool as fuck <laughs> yeah 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 had so much fun with those kind of things but yeah it's kind of when it comes to yeah actually making tunes is kind of yeah, for me, it's a totally different thing anyway. Obviously, some people really incorporate incorporate proper synthesis into their production. To be honest, I'm more of a presets person. <laughs> presets and samples. Oh, this tune, uh, another one I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce. Camo Mpela, Mpela. Um, the tune's called Mkulu Mkulu. So I got really into I'm a piano in the past couple of years, as a lot of people did. It's kind of wild how, like, I mean, this tune, if you see it on YouTube, it's got like hundreds of millions of views. Like, this, this stuff is massive in South Africa. This kind of real minimal 
deep vibe. It's quite kind of quite weird to imagine it as being just like pop music, basically. The video for this is amazing. Um, I mean, it's mostly just like dancing, but the choreo is incredible, and just the actual dancing is incredible. It's quite funny. It's like because this is what probably about 110 BPM. A lot of the dancers are basically dancing double time to it. If you were to like um, actually play 220 BPM music to that dancing, it would look so stupid. But for some reason, it works when the music's half the tempo. It's funny. It's worth watching that video though. Amapiano is a genre of music. Zulu or Zosha word, the word piano. A subgenre of house music that originated from South Africa. I'm getting my mind well and truly blown today. Yes. The Amapiano is one of those genres where like, you know, you listen to it at home and it's like, okay, that's kind of that's got a kind of nice chill background music vibe going on. You hear it in a club and it's just like totally devastating. It's just like a bit like dub, like that you think of as being, you know, just like sitting around at home smoking music and then you go to an actual dub dance with a sound system and it's just like fucking hell. I, I did not realise it sounded like this. Usatan, Uwe Supa, Gulnukulu, Gredi Kripa, Gredi Tao, Gredi Mita, Bambalela, Sasa Shinta, Danki Mali, Ayanki Kripa. How come there's so much stuff in your selection from South Africa? Well, no particular reason. Just like I was saying earlier, it's like um, it just it seems to be a real like crucible of interesting electronic music, and, and has been for a long time. Like I had several more South African tunes on my on on my longer list, and I had to cut quite a few out. They're kind of they're making the same point, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Non-stop trouble when she busts up a wine Other girl them turn their head at the same damn time So she lock it, pop it, pop it Drop it and we lock it Grove is an artist from Bristol. This is from their EP called Queer and Black. It is very aggressively queer and very aggressively black. It's just amazing for that. It's like, I mean, I've always been really into dancehall, and this has got a kind of dancehall groove to it. It's got like jungly elements and then even like verging on breakcore elements. And their vocals are just cool and aggressive and sexy all at the same time. It's just, yeah, they're well worth checking out. Uh, listening to some of their newer stuff today when I was kind of trying to make some notes about what I might talk about. I realized I haven't actually listened to some of their stuff for a while. Yeah, they've kind of gone down a less frenetic route on the newer stuff, but it's very much a kind of Bristol sound thing. So it's got that kind of sound system culture combined with like dark, urban, claustrophobia kind of thing. It's really cool, worth checking out. Bit of a trip around the world with some of your earlier selections. The whole trip around the world thing it wasn't particularly intentional. When I was kind of listening back to what I'd chosen earlier today, I was like, oh, is it, is it ravey enough? Or like, have I kind of, does it come across like I'm trying to be too clever? But it's just like, they are just all bangers. So. Is it ravey enough? Oh, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. 
Personally, I really like voice selection here. Um, it's really good, really interesting. Um, and like I say, one of the things I love most is hearing stuff that I haven't heard before. What gets me sometimes is if I'm listening to a playlist and it's predictable or stuff that I've heard, you know? Oh, it's definitely getting ravey now anyway. So this is Glitch Girl and tunes Dumb, Elephants on Parade. Glitch Girl is someone, yeah, someone who I've got to know a little bit over the past couple of years, mostly online. We met once briefly for about five seconds of Bang Face. But I uh, just huge respect for her. Like her set of Bang Face was uh, ridiculously bagging and she just got such energy when she's performing. You know, she did two sets. There was one set she did where she was trying to do 100 tunes in an hour or something silly. <laughs> yeah, I missed that one and I'd come by that, that point. I, it was her, her other one that was more kind of, more just her own stuff that I saw. A lot of it is like fairly straightforward basic drum and bass stuff, but it just executed so well. I like this one's a really good example of that and like really deftly weaving in the like Dumbo song. It's such a good song to do a, like a rave remix of as well because it's like because it's a really wonky song in the first place. The like Pink Elephants on Parade. This is from um, one of the uh, Remix Everything compilations that Dave Skywalker puts together. That I've been involved with a few of them. It's a really nice project because it's kind of like open to anyone to throw a tune in the ring kind of thing. So this was from the I guess it was the Blockbusters one where it was all movie themes. But we do like a Eurovision one every year, so that'll obviously be. We've got another one of those coming out next month. I can't try and remember who, I, who I'm doing this year. Which Eurovision song? I think it's Moldova. So look out for that one. You go to Bankface. I don't think I met you at Bankface. We should definitely meet up if you go again. I've only been once last year and, and like feel like I'm not even allowed to say this, but I wasn't that into it. It's, it's kind of rave sacrilege. Oh, well, we have to end the interview now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously everyone playing was amazing. It's partly the um, being in a, a busy place where you're just pushing past people. Like, I mainly wanted to be in the fourth room where, where all the takeovers were. Once that got busy, I could not handle it in there at all. That was the seventh circle of hell sometimes. Yeah, yeah, which was a shame. I'm often uh, like on solo missions when I'm at festivals. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a loner anyway a lot of the time, but like I kind of like just wandering about on my own and taking in what's going on. I found that Bankface was just kind of quite limited opportunities for that because, of, because all the venues are right next to each other and there's not really much happening between them. I'll go and see what's going on. It's like, okay, 10 minutes later, I've been to all the venues and it's like, okay, it's all good, but you know, I don't know. I need to be able to just like circulate around a bit more. What's this tune now, man? We're on to Technicore. You can't see me now, but I'm, I'm, I'm fist pumping the air. <laughs> it's so simple, like so ridiculously effective. Yeah, I mean, no kind of big analysis to say about this or any interesting facts or anything. It's just a pure banger. Love to play this anytime. I went to my SoundCloud and I go, the last 12 months, the most played thing on my SoundCloud, this nightcore DJ set from a uh, guy in Japan. I have no idea what's going on with it. It's, it's absolutely gone viral. Second biggest thing on there is Count Bunker, Children of the Night. So uh, thanks for that, man. It's, uh, what a great tune it was, Children of the Night. It's, uh, 
really gone down a storm. Yeah, no, I'm really pleased with that one. And it was like, that was a really nice thing because um, I'm not very good at kind of getting feedback from people and working on tunes. Like I tend to just work totally in isolation and be like, when I think it's finished, it's finished. But like on that tune, I had a little bit of back and forth with you and you were like, you kind of, you put it out to me, okay, this kind of 40 seconds or so, that's the good bit. Just focus on that bit. Uh, and so I did, and it became like a totally different tune to what I had. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm like really thankful to you for that as well. That's a bit of assistance, and I, and I do love talking to people about the tunes, you know, when I get the time. People are work in progress. It. Send it on. More than happy to listen to it and give feedback. I'm not, not exactly a perfectionist, but like I kind of, I, it takes me a long time to be happy with things. It's kind of why I put out so many bootlegs and edits and things, because you, by their nature, they're a bit throwaway. It doesn't matter if they're not perfect. But if it's like something that's like my tune, like there's always something else that can be done with it. And I've got so many tunes that are 80, 90% done that are then I just don't know what else to do with kind of thing. That's life, isn't it? Unfortunately, so many projects like that. How do you say tractor in in Polish? <laughs> Yeah, DJ Tego Tipu. Again, not sure I'm pronouncing it right, but I think it's Tego Tipu. Finally, for anyone who came here for some dunk, here's some dunk. He's a really a great producer, very much embraces the like silly side of the current hard dance scene, but in this kind of totally left field way, it's like it's rarely just not the kind of obvious route of, you know, like a vocal everyone knows and mashing up two tunes everyone knows with a dunk. It's like something much weirder, but still like silly and banging all at the same time. And um, his production is just top notch as well. Quite ridiculous work rate, He's putting out like really high quality tunes on a regular basis. Him and um, Lobster B, uh, who unfortunately I didn't manage to squeeze one of Lobster B's tunes on here, but they're like, two people who are kind of in dunk now, who I kind of really respect everything they're doing in terms of bringing the silly, bringing the like high quality, like super top end production, and also bringing a lot of the kind of hard house roots of it as well. Uh, and Dryzen Dobry Curry is Good Morning Chickens. There you go. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and the chicken sounds as well. And then something in Polish that's hopefully not super offensive. Polish tractor. Polish onions. Polska piwo. Show. Cheers for taking the time, for taking a call and speaking to us with uh, 20 odd tunes, all very diverse and all very interesting. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it. All right, well, thanks for taking time and uh, speak to you later, mate. Oh, thank you. No, I enjoyed it. No, I'm really glad that you asked me to do it. A pleasure. Cheers now. See you soon, mate. Bye now. Bye.